0: Today's sermon text is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. It is wisdom and it is powerful. It is powerful to comfort and encourage and to transform lives. And we don't believe that, Father, in just a general way, but specifically for us gathered here today in this room, that you can do all of those things through your word. So we pray that you would use our pastor's, our pastor's efforts, his consideration of these words, his study of them, And his prayers for this time that you would use it all according uh, to your good wishes that you might bless us by revealing more of your glory to us and we pray this in Jesus name amen
1: good morning in the the last chapter that we have been studying in second Corinthians Uh, We were given week by week wonderful news about the faithful works of God for us. In chapter 3, verse 5, we saw that we are sufficient to serve God in every way that he calls us. And so our weaknesses are not an obstacle when we serve God in his strength, as he calls us to. In verse 12, we saw that we can be very bold to live for God because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and he himself gives us freedom. He enables us uh, to live for God. He enables us to serve him. He enables us to come with uh, complete access to our heavenly father. And so building on our Efficiency in the Lord and the boldness that we should have in him. The Apostle Paul begins now chapter 4 by saying we do not lose heart. He is describing his attitude as he carries out the ministry that God had given him. And for Paul, ministry was life. There were not separate categories of, well, this is how I live and this is how I minister. His life was the ministry of God through him, and and so it is to be for all of us. We, We live and minister for our Lord because we represent him in this world. And his desire is to use us in ways that we may think are small, but in his hands are significant as we interact with each other, as we demonstrate that he has brought change into our lives. In all of this, we have lots of obstacles and challenges, and yet, regardless of the extent of them, and we already know and we'll see more, Paul had a great extent of obstacles and challenges, and yet it is Paul who's saying, and yet we do not lose heart. Uh, the the Greek word translated into "do not lose heart" is is a complex word. It can be translated in many ways. It can mean we're we're not discouraged. It can mean that we we're, we're not becoming weary. Uh, that we're not timid, or that we're not morally lax. Uh, and perhaps Paul had one particular aspect in mind as he wrote, but we really can use any of those expressions of the word. They, they all fit the context and we know they all fit Paul's heart. Whether we're struggling with just being beaten down or being worn out or perhaps we struggle a little bit with being uh, timid with the things of God or uh, we're being pulled and the question is, are we becoming lax in how we stand for him? Uh, Paul is saying, that does not need to be the expression of our life, that we do not lose heart. Now, we notice that we're not told that the reasons that could lead us to losing heart go away, and that's why it doesn't happen. That's never a promise of Scripture. Regardless of what some will say, God never promises that as your godliness increases, trouble's just diminish in degree the scripture never presents that to us except for in death there all troubles go away and we'll see more about that in the next chapter it's not that our our reasons disappear that could cause us to lose heart it is the mercy of god that's what he identifies because Of the mercy of God. Because of God's wondrous, gracious work. Because God who is faithful is always active in wondrous ways. Because of him we do not lose heart. For Paul, life's answers are are all pretty much the same. Point to Christ and what he has done. For Paul, that's that's where you go. That's where you turn. What is it that you're struggling with? What is heavy? What is hard? Turn your mind to the person of Christ. See what he has done. And that is always our answer, our starting place. We look to our faithful Christ. We recognize that when he left this world, he sent the Holy Spirit to represent him within us. And so it is Paul's trust in the work of God and that he exalts the work of God that his heart is upheld. It is his awareness and his faithfulness to focus that yes, God is being faithful in his merciful care. And so in the rest of our, our time, we're going to look at uh, the three ways that he shows, that he expresses as he describes his own life, uh, that he lived by this trust in God's gracious care. How did that represent itself? And the first that we see in verse 2 is that Paul recognized then that his responsibility was to be a man of faithfulness. That's how we respond to these wonderful works of God, these sufficient works of God. We respond to God's sufficiency by being faithful. That's our responsibility, isn't to make things happen. It's to be faithful to God who is at work in us. Verse 2 But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we will commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We know uh, through the, the previous chapters that there is a contingent in the Corinthian church that is accusing Paul of not being God's man. That they are God's man. Paul is not. And part of the reasoning is because they're more impressive than Paul, and other reasons are look at all the troubles Paul has. If he's God's man, why is he having so many struggles? And Paul's response to all of this reality that yes, I have lots of weaknesses, and yes, I have lots of struggles. But here's Paul's response to that. It is not to exalt his giftedness, it is to say, I am faithful. He describes his being God's man, what makes us God's man or woman, and it, it is not, thankfully, the degree of giftedness we have, because that would cause many of us to kind of give up quickly. Because we would wonder, well, what am, how can I respond to what God has called, because I don't see much giftedness in our, my life. God's called you to faithfulness. that's what Paul highlights in in three ways. The beginning of verse 2 that we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. And and in all of this, kind of the the context is he's he's contrasting himself to those who are making uh, big of themselves back in Corinth. Uh, We have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. Uh, There's no hidden agenda manipulating what Paul is doing. My heart is given to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whatever I'm saying to you, whatever I'm writing in this letter, however I respond, uh, there's only one agenda leading my heart. There's only one agenda that's driving how I'm speaking to you or or what I'm doing. So you don't have to be wondering, well, what is Paul really up to? I'm up to the gospel. And that is the only agenda we've been given. Whether it is at work, whether it's in your home, when you gather with God's people, when you're out in the world, our, our agenda is to represent the gospel and to be gospel people. That our heart is shaped by our desire that people would know Christ, that people would see Christ in us. That was Paul's faithfulness. I'm a man of the gospel. That's my heart. Secondly, he taught God's word without edits. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And we know even from 1 Corinthians that the, uh, the Corinthian culture was enamored with oration. They were impressed, the Greek culture, with those who were impressive speakers. That was the entertainment of the day. And, and Paul says, I'm not trying to impress anyone. I don't edit God's word. Because... God has chosen what we have to say to the world. We don't choose what we have to say to the world. God has chosen what we have to say. So the gospel is not something that we look at and think, this part people will like a lot. This part, that's a little offensive, so let's kind of push that part off to the side. Let's focus on the happy part. We We don't have the right to choose... What we communicate. We've been given the word of God and we communicate what God has said. That's, that's what we represent. We're not editing the words of God to make it fit people's sensibilities. That means when we declare the gospel, we have to let people know they're sinners. If we're just telling people, God loves you, will save you forever, will give you a kingdom, and he's going to make your life great and everyone is Okay, sign me up. Who doesn't want life to be made wonderful? Who doesn't want, just in case, the assurance that heaven is their home? And all I have to do is say a little prayer with you. Oh, I can do that. The gospel starts with uh, you're a sinner condemned by God, and you need to confess and you need to repent of that. If If we haven't given them what the problem is, how do they understand the solution? That Jesus is Savior and Lord. And if you're not responding to him as the Lord, then you're not responding to him because that's who he is. Some of the leading pastors in terms of fame and and size of congregations today openly will say that there are things that they just aren't going to talk about. They will openly say, well, I would never talk about hell or Satan. We're not going to talk about sin that much because people just think that's crazy. We don't get to choose the parts of God's communication we like and share. There are some who don't deal with anything that is confrontational because they say, well, God has given us the ministry in our church of encouragement. Encouragement is wonderful, but we don't get to pick what our focus is. Our focus is Jesus Christ, God in flesh, died on the cross, has risen, is the reigning king, and unless you know Him, you're without hope in the world that's what we have to say that's what we've been given and with that the expression of his care and his goodness and his faithfulness as we live for him Paul taught without edits and lastly his life was free of scandal or compromise his life is an open statement to everyone's conscience We think of recent months and the the passing of Billy Graham, and we think of a man who ministered for decades and not the slightest hint of scandal. A man who certainly made mistakes. No impropriety, no scandal. And can you imagine how many people were looking for it? Who wants to be the reporter to break that story? But there's no story to be found. And so decades were were spent presenting a ministry filled with weakness like everyone else, but never any scandal to distract from the message. The messenger never became the point. It was always the person of Christ. That's what our life can be. We all fail. But if we know we're really not being faithful, that's that's not driving our heart. If we know we're not being faithful, then how can verse 1 be true of us? We don't lose heart. How do we have confidence when we stand before God, when when we come to Him with our daily struggles? How do we come to Him? Lord, encourage my heart in you when, as we're saying it, we know there's a big part of our heart we just refuse to let Him touch. Has not God... Earned our faithfulness. And what we've been seeing week after week is that we are free to be faithful. We are enabled to be faithful because it's not something we do because we're strong or gifted. Faithfulness comes because Christ has transformed us and the Spirit has. Come and we are free to people to be people who live for Him. And how encouraging it is when we can pray, Lord, you see my, my failures, but you know my heart. We can all pray that way. Lord, you, you see where, where I've struggled and I've failed. There's there's no hiding that, and I and I've turned from that, but Lord. What you see behind it all, you know my heart. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I seek your word. You know I love your gospel. And so I'm asking for your grace to help me. I'm asking for your wisdom. I'm asking for your empowerment. Because you see my heart and it is yours. Isn't that a wondrous way to pray? And that's how everyone in Christ can pray because we can all be faithful because God is faithful to us The second way in which Paul identifies his living by trust in God's care is to live knowing that fruitfulness, then, the results is, is what God does. Paul was responsible to be faithful. God is the one who accomplishes fruitfulness, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It appears that Paul's critics claim that they were more effective in ministry than he was. Paul is the famous preacher, but look at all the people who are not responding. And so Paul acknowledges that directly. Uh, how people respond or not is it's not based upon me. It's not based upon the, the power of my speaking. It's not based upon my giftedness. It's, it's what God will do or not. I am being faithful, he is communicating. If people are not responding, if the gospel remains veiled to them, the reason is not because I'm not clear with the gospel. It's that the God of this world has deceived them. Paul doesn't depend on his ability. His ministry, verse 1, rests in the mercy of God. Every heart is veiled. It's the language he's been using. We've seen over the last few weeks. Every Every heart and mind is veiled by spiritual blindness. People can hear the truths of the gospel. It just doesn't draw them. They see it and we know we believe it. It just doesn't seem true to them. It's veiled by spiritual rebellion. They just would rather do things their own way. And we have no power to lift that veil as much as we want to. We cannot go to anyone and just take the veil, put it off, there it is, see? We can tell them that, we just can't make it happen. And if we think that we can, if we think, if we just, if we, if we say it in just the right magical way, they have to believe. If, if we present it just, winsomely enough, surely they're going to believe. And, and we want to be clear and we want to be winsome and we want to do our best, but there's nothing that, it's, that is going to be fruitful because we did it perfectly. Okay. Because when we, when we start to think, if we just do it good enough, then it's going to be effective. Then all our energies start to bypass being faithful people and it starts moving to being creative enough being impressive enough in what we do and it starts becoming about what we're doing more than what god is doing and churches can fall into this in our natural excitement and our creativity and that starts to take center stage and creativity is good because God has made us creative. He's given us minds to use, He's made people creative to use that. So that's the display of, of God's gifting to you when we use creativity. That, that's good. But creativity is not the power of God to salvation, the gospel is the power. God into salvation it is the coming of God in flesh the son of God who died on a cross bearing the sins of all who would trust in him and whoever would call out to him turn of their sins and call for his grace to them he says yes I will forgive you it is the message God has given it is the work of his son it is what God has done that saves, we are communicators of it but we have to be careful not to be thinking we make it happen because then we're resting on abilities and then what is exalted is not those who are faithful in righteousness but those who are the most gifted and we start getting confused as some in Corinth were about what is honored most of all And we can never get away from what should be honored is straightforward, everyday, faithfulness to our Lord Jesus. There is someone, Paul says, that's working to keep those hearts veiled. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Satan, the God of this world, it doesn't mean he's sovereign over this world, that he controls it. It means the world follows after him. So he is not the sovereign God of the world. There's only one sovereign God. But he is the one people follow. It's his influence, his values, that the world chases after and since today is Father's Day, uh, let me bring a couple principles from this reality that apply specifically uh, to parents. The first, if if we if we believe what he has just said is true, then rebellion by your child or children is not your fault. Now, lack of discipline, now that may come back to what happened in your home, but that our children may rebel against the things of God, that is not your fault. If we start carrying that, if only I'd been a better parent, of course you could have been a better parent. All of us could have been, should have been, better parents in all sorts of ways. The rebellion of our children is not our fault. They enter into this world, all of them, in complete rebellion. Because there's a veil over their eyes. So their rebellion is not your fault. Second, principle, is that every influence in the world outside of Christ is deceived. Every, every influence in the world outside of Christ is deceived. For Paul says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So If you have not trusted in Christ, then you are deceived about the most important things in the world. And so any influence that does not have Christ as its center, that influence has deception in it. So wherever you are, no matter how family-friendly it is, no matter how nice it is, Every influence in the world, if it is not being driven by Christ, has deception in it. Now, we have to live in the world, we have to interact with the world, the, the answer is not to all run to the mountains and escape from the world, but we do need to recognize as parents that only Christ brings us to the truth. Uh, we, we saw in In chapter 3, verse 14, the veil is only lifted through Christ. Unless Christ removes the veil, then they're still in deception. And so we must not let any influence or any activity erode our family's commitment to Christ. doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter how worthy you think this activity is for your home. If that activity is at a point where it is getting in the way of commitment to Christ, then that good thing is is tearing apart what God intends to do. There's no way around that. There's no way around that. If we believe Christ is Lord, that there is salvation in no one else but Him. If we believe our claims of who Christ is, then anything, anything that is wedging at all in between is something we must treat as a danger. Even if it seems innately good, because the value of Christ just surpasses everything. And in the end, it's all that matters. And as we want to be commitment committed to this as parents and grandparents, make sure we don't lead our children to moralism. Now, we want our kids to be moral, but the goal isn't clean-cut, nice, moral kids that make us look good in public. Now, that would be great. It's kind of nice when you're in a restaurant and your kids all happen to behave that day and everyone thinks you're a great parent. I'll take that. That, You know, that feels kind of good. They're like this all the time. Yes, yes, we're, yes, we're, we're pretty amazing parents. Yes. They had an argument about three years ago. Since, no, nothing. Feels good to see that happen, but that's not the goal. The goal is Christ has their hearts. And moralism leads to just a good person, arrogant in their goodness, And I can think I'm fine. You know, I'm talking to you know a a good friend, actually a a family member on Debbie's side and sharing the gospel, and a guy he'll do anything for anyone. And he sacrifices to help at the church to do whatever's needed. And he says, Yeah, that's my gospel. And that's what he's holding to. Because I'll, I'll put things down and I'll help. And because he's doing these good things, he thinks he's fine. And he's a great guy who's not fine. Because Christ doesn't have his heart. And we don't want to create that confusion in our children. That moral Living is the goal. That's the fruit of loving God with all our hearts. Don't lead your children to moralism. Lead them to the glorious person of Christ. Because that's what the deceiver's hiding. He's keeping them from seeing, verse 4, the the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Who are we pointing our children to? This is most wonderful person in the world, this one who saves, this one who makes us sufficient, this one who is faithful, this one who is the full expression of the character of God in this world. We're leading them to Him. Believer, don't miss this amazing mercy. You now see the glory of Christ. Because there was a day when you were blind to it. Don't lose track of that most wondrous of mercies. What is true of you that you live in verse 6, not verse 4. You are not blinded from seeing the gospel of the glory of Christ, but you're in verse 6 whom God has shown in your hearts, giving you knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between being blinded to him and seeing him. And that brings us to the last value that Paul brings up about how do we, how do we live in trust of God's care. We, we see our responsibilities faithfulness. We entrust that the fruitfulness is what God does. So we, we live that way. And last, in everything, we exalt Christ. What we hear over and over again, and we cannot hear it enough. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When Paul makes a sentence, it's, if he can put more in the sentence, he will. Let's just stick as much as I can in the sentence. I, Paul must have just gotten excited when he wrote. And he starts with a thought and just, it keeps filling. He just keeps putting more in. We trust in God's care. We live that way by exalting christ in everything we we trust him his merciful care we we trust him by exalting him when we exalt him why would we not trust him paul verse 5 says he proclaimed christ instead of himself This is more than Paul saying he used Jesus' name rather than his own. It's not Paul saying, I never told anyone that I died on the cross for them. I tell them Jesus did. So it's not that Paul is saying, I made sure I I use Jesus' name as Savior, not Paul as Savior. It's not that Paul just always used the correct name of Jesus. It's that Paul had a lack of self importance as he declared Christ. It was not self importantly, he was not exalting himself and his ministry as he declared Christ. The question here, the concern is not just what we're proclaiming to other people, that we make sure we proclaim Christ clearly to others. Uh, This starts with our own soul. Are we proclaiming Christ clearly to ourselves rather than self-importance? Whose expectations do we hold up? Ours or God's? Whose rights do we demand? Ours or God's? Whose values do we hold up Ours or God's? Part of this principle being at work in our lives is the acknowledgement that Christ is our Lord. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So part of proclaiming Christ correctly is recognizing his role, who he is. He's the Lord. We are Not, there can only be one of those. There's only one Lord. Jesus himself taught many times that you cannot serve two masters. You're you're always going to have one that you're picking. You cannot have two masters. There's only one Lord. Is it Jesus or is it ourselves? If nothing else... It should be clear to us that the roles of Lord and servant, because after saying Christ is Lord, then he says, and, and we're the servant of his, we should be able to recognize this, that the roles of Lord and servant are by capacity, which means Jesus is, has the capacity to be Lord. You don't. Now, I understand wanting to be Lord. I understand wanting to be in charge. I understand wanting to get your way. We just don't have the capacity to carry it off. We do have the capacity to be a faithful servant. Because God makes us sufficient. If we're proclaiming self and we're trying to rule self, how can we not lose heart? Because mess is coming quickly. Life is complicated enough. Without adding, you're being in charge of things. Don't you have enough problems? So if we want to live by the mercy of God and not lose heart It just doesn't work with our mixing up who's Lord and servant. They they don't fit together. We exalt Christ by rejoicing in his extraordinary work for us. For God, who said, verse 6, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. See the magnitude of what he's saying? God, who in the nothingness of just, it was just him, declared words, and the worlds began. Light came into being. Darkness dispelled. God, who operates that way, did something similar. He did something greater. He spoke into your hearts, let light shine, and you saw the glory of Christ. That was the harder miracle. There is no resistance to making light in the world. There's a lot of resistance, because there's the veil of rebellion over our eyes. And so think of this great work of God. He caused the light of Christ to shine in your hearts. What has already taken place in you is compared with the creation of the world. Oh, we need eyes to see the majesty of the works of God in us. That we would not minimize God's commitment. That we would not fall into thinking that God's not really active in our life. God has done wonders in your life if you know Christ. The greatest wonders that have ever happened in this world have taken place in you if you know Christ. And so Paul wants us to be amazed at gospel work so that we can rest in our Savior. So that we can truly believe, because of the mercy of my God, I do not lose heart. I I don't become weary. I don't become discouraged. I don't become timid. I, I don't become lax. And as he describes this glory brought to us, he uses highly personal language. The light of the knowledge of God, of the glory of God, it's in not just in Christ, it's in the face of Christ. He he is inviting us to this highly personal relationship with the glorious Savior, to see his face the person of Jesus have you lost heart is it hard for you to rejoice in Christ does it seem now impossible for you to rest in the mercy of Christ The mercies of God in the person of Jesus, they're all real. These are are real mercies because the works of Christ have been done. They are historical actions that have taken place in the world. And if you're in Christ, that light has shown, God has spoken, you have been changed. And these mercies are not only real, these mercies are sufficient. But what may be missing is the face of Jesus. That you're not giving time to sit before the face of Jesus. That if you read Scripture, it's to get it done. Not to hear him speak to you. And if you pray it's Lord change that. Give me that. Rather than just to spend time being amazed again at how wondrous this person is. For he is the most wonderful person in the world. And it's not even close. So let us make time for the face of Jesus. It is a glorious face. And his face is what enables us to face the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we we come praising you for real mercies. We come asking you for more mercy because we need it every day. And you say your mercies are new every day. So we come again today saying, Lord, be merciful to us because we want you and we love you and we need you. And so hear the cry of your beloved in Jesus' name. Amen.